0: them drive to stop give away a giveaway of waterfront and to a developer i'm akio tanaka thank you and you are listening to 94.1 kpfa in berkeley 89.3 kpfb in berkeley 88.1 kfcf in fresno and online at kpfa.org the time is 3 p.m. stay tuned next for cover to cover open book <laughs>
1: Welcome to Open Book. I'm Richard Wolinsky. My guest is Ed Decker, Artistic Director of New Conservatory Theatre Center in San Francisco, former director of ACT Young Conservatory, graduate of SF State, director, playwright, You started in 1981. When did you move into your current building on Van Ness?
0: We moved into the theater center in uh, Christmas of 1985, and we took over the master lease at 25 Van Ness after the city and county of San Francisco purchased the building in 1991.
1: And at that point, you had how many stages?
0: Three stages, and we still have three stages. We have a studio that we sometimes use for classroom performances, but three stages
1: for public performance. And that was there from the beginning then?
0: That facility was retrofitted
1: and outfitted back in 84, 85. So you've been running a tremendous number of programs, shows over the years, and you've been with it since the inception, right?
0: Right. We produce between 25 and 30 projects every year, depending on whether it's our youth conservatory, or our Youth Aware Educational Touring Program, our cabaret series, our Pride season, and our special events programs. It's always going. I think the only two days that we're closed there are, actually there's three days. There's Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's Day. But other than that, there's usually something always going on at New Conservatory Theatre Center.
1: And it looks like two, four, six, eight shows per year, not counting the cabaret. That's correct. And this year's
0: Pride season um, actually has 10 shows. We added two um, bonus shows at the beginning of the season and at the end of the season. So we went from eight to 10. When everybody else was cutting back, we thought, oh, let's just go the
1: other way. There's a tendency among people who know to think of New Conservatory as kind of gay theater. And if you look at the shows that uh, you have next year you have shows that are only very tangentially related to gay themes like doubt the little dog laugh and master class and dames at sea as well so how do you make these determinations what are you looking for where is the audience i mean what are you now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're ever-changing, Richard. For
0: the past several years, we've been trying to, or I've been trying to expand the artistic vocabulary at the New Conservatory Theatre Center, in particular with our Pride season. I think as the, as the LGBT movement continues to grow, I think we've moved past the, the time of sort of isolating ourselves and separating ourselves out from sort of the rest of society. We needed to do that, I think, early in the 70s to sort of carve a place of distinction and say hey we're here and we need it to be visible and I think that in order for the movement to continue to grow I think it's important for people of all persuasions to realize that the LGBT and questioning community are part of every walk of life part of all of our politics part of every social uh, structure that is woven throughout this country and and around the world and so trying to step away from ghettoized the theater experience for a gay audience, if you please, and open up the, um, like I said, expand the vocabulary so that there's a lot more cross-pollination between cultures and classes and different people.
1: John Fisher last year over at Rhino did his own play Ishi, and the only thing gay about it was the playwright. Could you see something in a similar vein where the only thing gay might be the playwright, if anything? You know, it's always possible, Richard. I, I We
0: do... Do have a mission for the pride season that the pieces have a connection to the community in some way or fashion. So what you're proposing is certainly possible. We work with a lot of gay playwrights and gay artists, and they're not always writing about quote unquote you know LGBT things. So sure, I can I can conceive of that. For now, we're looking at themes in our material that do give some significant voice to the LGBT community, but also begin to give voice to inclusiveness for all communities now you know dames at sea i wouldn't say is a is a gay <laughs> musical but you know it has a very very fun uh, gay sensibility about it. i mean it's about showbiz in the you know in the 30s and i just really felt like it was a good choice for the season and and opening up the um, experience at new conservatory theater center especially in the pride season to other audiences and of course you mentioned doubt there's a big question in that play that casts doubt um uh, yeah as the title aptly suggests, and I felt like that was certainly a strong candidate for, uh, for our season. And, of course, Masterclass, you know, Terrence McNally and I go way back, and I love to, to, to work with him, and I love to produce his work, and certainly opera, the grandness of opera, connects with the LGBT community as well as many other
1: communities. Doubt and Masterclass in particular require performers who rise above most of the other performers. Doubt, of course, not just because it was on Broadway with Cherry Jones, but also, of course, the film. And Masterclass, the actresses who have taken it on have been extraordinary. Have these been cast yet?
0: Doubt has actually been half cast.
1: We started very early
0: for that piece, and we're also going to be beginning casting for Masterclass after late. Day. One of the things that we're doing that I think is unique to New Conservatory about both of these pieces, Doubt and Class, is that they're returning to the small, intimate theater, which is where they were created to begin with. I mean, they all went on to extreme success and played in much larger venues, but part of the experience that we want to bring to the audiences that may be familiar with both of these pieces is being in close proximity and experiencing them as they were originally conceived in a very small, intimate setting.
1: A show like Little Dog Laughed. I mean, how did you manage to get that one over, I don't know, ACT or even um, Berkeley Rep? Well, you know, there's a lot
0: of things at play when you're negotiating for rights to a property, and, you know, I suppose it didn't hurt that we had uh, presented As Bees in Honey Drown in our last season, which was also written by Douglas Carter, Bean, the, uh, the author of A Little Dog Laughed, and Douglas came out to see that show and was very taken, not only with our production, but with the operation that we have at New Conservatory Theatre Center. So I suppose having the author on your side didn't hurt us, but, you know, there were, there were a lot of other plans for that piece. There was a national tour that was planned, and it got as far as Los Angeles, and I think due to the economy and commitments that some of the other stars had that were in the project in Los Angeles. It didn't continue on the national tour vein. So that also was a component that made it possible for us to earn the, the rights to do the, the San Francisco premiere.
1: And how did you manage to get uh, the West Coast premiere of the new century by Paul Rudnick?
0: Again, Paul is somebody that we've worked with in the, the past. We've presented his most fabulous story a few seasons back, I directed his piece called Valhalla. So there's a relationship there. Sometimes that goes a long way too when you have a, a theater and uh, directors or an artistic director that strongly believes in your work and provides some consistency of presentation. That you know that there's a venue that, as an author, as a playwright, that is there for you, especially on the, you know, in a in a major market like San Francisco.
1: Ed Decker, let's talk a little about the nature of casting, because this is a very, very big part of theater. And I asked you, are you the director of Beautiful Thing, which just recently cast? And you said no, but you were there for the casting sessions. First off, you know, you're you're a playwright and director, and you've got 10 shows coming up. How can you swing directing when you're busy being artistic director? Well, you know, that's always a delicate
0: balance, Richard. Luckily, I have a casting director at New Conservatory Theatre Center on staff, Giovanni Loggi, and he sets into motion the process for bringing actors into the, into the theatre. And because we work with a lot of different directors, they are also part of that process. And I, I tend to come into the casting process towards the end of it. There's usually a general call and then we move into a stage one callback phase and then we move into a, a final callback phase and some someplace between the stage one callback and the final callback i begin to participate always participating in when the when the headshots and things are coming in and working with directors uh, uh, in terms of calling people in but actually being in on the auditions usually not till the towards the end of the the process and you know as you know you you go to the theater a lot casting is everything you you really need to work hard to find the the, the best folks uh, for the roles and we're blessed in San Francisco and the Bay Area to have an uh, incredibly amazing talent pool so uh, if you cast early enough that's the trick because the good people book and if you cast early enough you can usually hold together the company that that you need and thankfully actors like to work at new conservatory theater center so that's that's a that's a help as well. I have been in situations where there has been um, a challenge in the casting, and you you make choices all along the creative process. The casting is probably one of the biggest. Uh, most important choices to get right you know like anything it's hard to get it be 100 percent but when you get it right um the final product really displays that and when you get it wrong the same is is true
1: (laughs) what happens i mean it's pretty hard to to replace someone particularly as you're nearing the date that's already written in stone
0: yes and especially if you're in a small theater situation where you don't have a lot of extra resources to play with i would say most Most of the time, you just do your best to make it work. We've been very fortunate at New Conservatory. We haven't had any, you know, very dramatic missteps as far as casting is concerned. We have had the situation where somebody's had to step back from a project because of a family emergency or an, or or something of that nature. Especially with smaller theaters, you kind of have to then sort of put your resources at work and and do the best you can with what you have, which is kind of the mantra of the small nonprofit theater anyway.
1: Let's talk for a second about this play, Beautiful Thing, which you said you directed 10 years ago. Twice. Twice. (laughs) And it was a British film. You decide you're going to do it... And you begin getting resumes. You have people in mind when when you sit down and, and pick out the play. Have you already talked to anyone? What is the first step in, in casting a play? Because, as I say, this happened over the past couple of weeks when you began doing the casting. What's the first step? How important is the audition if you kind of know someone already? Often when I'm putting together the
0: season, I do have the Bay Area talent pool in mind. Sometimes there will be a pre-casting notion in my head, but more often than not, even if somebody is thought of for a particular role, we may not drive them in for the the uh, general auditions especially if they've worked at new conservatory before we would bring them into the to the callback phase since i'm not the only one that directs there i produce everything but i don't direct everything and i think it's very important that each director that we work with have their voice in putting together their ensemble because it's actually i've hired them to articulate a vision for the stage so there's that beautiful thing um, is unique in that of all the plays that we have done in this Pride season now the Pride season is 15 years old even though the organization is 28 this play is the number one requested play to return and since it's 10 years since we've done the San Francisco premiere of it, I thought, okay, it's it's time to celebrate this play again. This season, I knew the, the director that I wanted, Andrew Nance, who was in the original production, as the boyfriend, Tony, and is my conservatory director, I knew that I wanted him to direct it, and he thankfully agreed, but other than that, it was a completely open call, because you know, the two stars are 17 or 18, the two boys and the mother and that family sort of had to be put together. And again thankfully we were able to um, bring together, our casting director brought together a good group of of people and we just night before last finished casting it.
1: The people that you cast, why did you choose one over another? Anything that just kind of points and says this is the reason I made this choice, or or do you throw up your hands and go, I oh, got I don't know?
0: You asked sort of earlier how important the audition the audition itself yeah. is. It it is terribly important. Folks have an edge that come to an to an audition that are familiar with the material, uh, on time, and prepared. Um, for the role that they're auditioning for, that makes a big difference because that begins to sort of let you know what their work habits are going to be like. And then you have to sort of look at not only the individual characters, but balancing a cast out, you know, because sometimes, like, for example, in Beautiful Thing, the, the two leads are 17, 18 years old. So if you end up casting those roles a little bit older than a 17 or 18 year old, then you have to make sure that the mother balances, you know, a believable age for the boys. And if the two boys are supposed to be 17, they need to they need to look close enough to that age group and close enough to each other
1: so that the audience is willing to suspend their disbelief if they're not really 17. So if they're like 22 or 23, you're going to get a mother who's in her 50s as opposed to if they're actually 17, you could cast someone in in their 40s. Exactly. Exactly.
0: And so, you know, each play is unique in its casting needs. And you have to really take them one at a time. And we do a casting call for each particular production in our season, as well as for the youth programs. We used to do... a. A general audition, but we've since just um, utilized the Theater Bay Area general auditions. They're, they do those annually so that we can get an idea of who's new in the Bay Area,
1: and then we do specific calls. For a show like Master Class, though, you kind of need a name, don't you?
0: you no, know, perhaps a name to the local community. But what you really need is somebody with extreme skill. The piece, as written by Terence McNally, is so beautifully crafted that it's really about the skill of the actor, who especially the actress who plays the Maria Callas role. You know, they, they've done it with lots of big names have have done this, um, done this role, and and brilliantly. Um, our production is going to be again sort of return that that intimacy, and uh, perhaps the name will be familiar to Bay Area audiences, but I don't think Faye Dunaway. Is going to drop in. (laughs) Or Rita Marino, or any of those wonderful people.
1: Yeah, I saw it with Rita Marino. Yeah, she was fantastic. uh, She was great. You're listening to an interview with Ed Decker, Artistic Director of uh, New Conservatory Theatre Center in San Francisco. You're also working on a play or project, let's call it, called Rites of Passage. There's a blog online and uh, through New Conservatory Theatre website, and I read some of it. What brought you to working on this and how can you actually put together a play where you're doing interviews for a play while you're busy artistic director again it's it's it sounds like a little bit of a rough schedule for you
0: well i've discovered the play is going to take longer than i thought to create richard because of the the day-to-day work i'm writing this with my my partner my life partner and husband robert leone who works in the field of international health you, you asked about how this project got started. It was actually ignited by the gay marriage issue in this country. I began to look at our struggle for this particular civil right and equality. Very, very important. But I began to look at it in contrast to what was going on elsewhere in the world. What progress was being made in LGBT human rights. And we, we discovered that there are folks that are in very different places in the continuum of of civil rights and human rights as far as our community is concerned. And there's some some wonderful things to celebrate, but there are also some really horrific things that are going on as well. And we wanted to, um, again, expand the vision of LGBT human rights beyond just our USA perspective and perhaps add a piece to the puzzle that unites us on a more global level. It's a big project, Richard. You know, we've been traveling and researching for the last year and a half and only recently have come up with our central storyline, which is going to be a, a way for us to tell a story that you can follow from beginning, middle to end, while we cut away to different parts of the world where similar things might be going on.
1: So it's, it's not a, a compendium-like Laramie project of different people telling their tales. It's one story with side trips?
0: You know, at the moment, but of course these things can change as the creative process unfolds. My um, partner and I have traveled extensively in Indonesia and have a real understanding of the the culture there and have decided that our central story is going to focus on a gay Hindu boy who, of course, grows up in this very ceremonial and theatrical society and has his challenges there and as he faces his challenges is the play will i don't know, stop action if you will of the central storyline and we may take a side trip to uh, a similar family situation in africa or perhaps a situation of violence in the middle east or in the isolation of of the gay community in central europe i mean there's there's so many um different directions that we can go and it's been difficult to kind of narrow it in because you can't do everything. You know, this is the first play that I have ever written. I've helped countless writers at the theater develop their work. I have learned so much from them, and I'm trying to take what I've learned and try my hand at it. And and Robert, my partner, who's a short story writer as well.
1: When a show plays, a a new show, we're not talking about these revivals coming back, but a a show either commissioned or sent over the transom, because I noticed that you do look at plays that are sent over the transom that just come in from people. You'll look at any play and make a decision or something, which is very rare. I mean, to be able to look at that. I would think that given where New Conservatory sits on, say, the hierarchy with Broadway at the top, you'd be interested in having any play go past you to the next level, in a sense.
0: Oh, certainly, and I think that one of the the attractive things for playwrights about New Conservatory Theatre Center is that it's 3,000 miles away from New York and Broadway, so there's there's a safe place to work and to you know explore you know your storytelling techniques and your characters and and so forth and it took me a while to learn that new conservatory was attractive to writers in that way i, I for, for many years i just saw the smallness of our venue um the capacity of our venue as a obstacle and when i realized that it was actually an advantage things began to turn around and we began to work with some rather notable playwrights in the field
1: over the years, certainly, you've had plays going back all of these years. What do you think of the greatest successes? I mean, when you've seen something, you've gone, my God, this is phenomenal. Can you think of anything that have just stood out?
0: Well, you know, in recent memory, we had a great experience with Alan Bennett's The History Boys again it was nice to return that play to its smaller origins and audiences really appreciated the proximity of the play i remember being terrified going into rehearsals i did direct that piece and I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm, am I clever or clever enough to direct this play? There were so many um, references to great literature and poetry and art. And I remember staying up hours and hours into the night, you know, cramming to make sure I understood what the references were to, you know, certain battles in the war and certain visual artists. And, you know, when it all came down to learning all of that was very important to the project. But it was about learning and knowledge. And that was at the heart of the play and and how we matriculate in life. And so once I figured that out, everybody was able to relax. So that was a particularly exciting uh, piece for our audiences. We had a great success with Richard Greenberg's Take Me Out. I'm looking at another play of his for our... Next season, A beautiful thing, you know, was an extraordinary experience. We did it twice ten years ago because it was so popular. The commissions program that we have for our youth aware educational touring program is always very exciting because we we bring socially relevant programs about HIV and anti homophobia and substance abuse and class challenges for young people right into their communities, and we find those commissions to. Be be really rewarding because they they connect to young people and hopefully give them some opportunity to make some good choices for their futures.
1: At my end, I saw History Boys on Broadway, and then I saw your production. And, of course, there are comparisons that can be made in, you know, in terms of, obviously, production. Sure. But for me, what was most interesting was being able to see it in a different venue and performed in a different way without, without the film, for example. It comes across as a different play. The other side of it, though, is occasionally there are duds, something called It's Murder, Mary. Mm-hmm. And I went to this and, I mean, I talked afterward with actors who weren't pleased with it either. What were your thoughts on it and do you feel that it it fulfilled what you were hoping it would fulfill?
0: Yes. It was part of our um, commissions program. We worked with two local playwrights and the the aim was to create a gay camp murder mystery that would play during our Pride Month and it was was very successful at the box office. Audiences really responded to it, but it's a certain style of theater that not everybody responds to, obviously, (laughs) yourself included. And you know, that's the great thing about art in that it is always going to be a subjective experience. It's great when you have something, Richard, that everybody adores and wants to see more of. Sure, who wouldn't want, you know, unanimous approval, but I was very pleased with the results of It's
1: Murder, Mary, especially at the box office. Well, yeah, that really helps. Uh, I've also been to a couple of the one-person shows that sit in the tiny theater, Mm -hmm. and again, the quality is varying, but what I find fascinating is even when the quality is less than what one might hope, uh, you're seeing new talent emerge, and I remember seeing something not long ago, and I was going, wow, I don't really like this, but this guy He's interesting.
0: Sure. And, you know, I'm glad that you brought that up because um, one of the solo shows that we have an artist that we've worked with is local local um, actor, Michael Phyllis, who just left this week to participate in the Fringe Festival with his piece called Dolls, which was developed at New Conservatory Theatre Center. So our Emerging Artist Program, you know, is very important in, in nurturing talent for the future. And again, it's a subjective experience. You know, there's a lot of folks that just can't abide the one person show and so maybe they want to see something in our emergency emerging artist program that is a small cast project instead of a solo project. But the thing is is that there are very few places where this kind of stuff can be nurtured and developed as well as helping an artist find their legs and their voice and have a theater behind them that says look you know you need to do your thing and uh, we're here to support you and beyond helping the process along you know I don't as an artistic director I don't dictate the content of the piece obviously I'm looking for something that I think would connect with our audience Richard but you know if if, if a playwright is coming on board or if a solo artist is coming on board the aim is to give them the opportunity to express their voice, not just
1: sort of mirror something that I might have in, in my head or in my voice. Well, one question I ask all the artistic directors because I think this is very important if theater is going to remain alive, it needs to be affordable. Now, a lot of people want to go to theater, but the fact is that these days in this economy, and even in good times, which were never really that good, people can't afford to spend 25, 30 bucks or more more. Yeah for a play. Do you have any sliding scale, any way, or any specific performances that people can look at, uh, even to fill out an audience where they can get in for free or for virtually free? Mm-hmm. There are so many ways to get discount tickets to New Conservatory
0: Theater Center and most of the theaters in, in the Bay Area. Gold Star is a, is a very popular place that people go to. There's a lot of things on the on the web. The Tix booth down in Union Square, you can get half-price tickets. If you want to get a discount ticket for theater in the Bay Area, nine times out of ten you can do it. New Conservatory Theater Center, at least in the Pride season, we have on the first Thursday of every show we have a pay-as-you-wish night so folks can come as the title suggests pay as they wish and that information is always available on our on our website as to when the the particular dates are for for each show and our ticket prices you know range from on the low end fifteen dollars and on the high end if you're coming to an opening night around thirty eight dollars but you get free food and booze with that ticket price so you know you can't you can't get a better deal than that i think they're affordable to begin with to make them even more more affordable there's a lot of discount opportunities out there especially with the web
1: playing through the weekend are two shows south pathetic a one-man show with jim david and i believe
0: uh, meg mckay show is 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 playing as well through the 22nd
1: and then uh, good boys and true open has opened already no it's in previews and it will open on the 22nd and the website of new conservatory is nctcsf.org You've been listening to an interview with Ed Decker, the Artistic Director of New Conservatory Theater Center in San Francisco, which is located at... 25 Van Ness at Market Street. I'm Richard Walensky on Open Book. The show is produced by Richard Walensky in the studios of KPFA Pacifica Radio in Berkeley, California.
0: Richard Walensky interviews legal thriller author Jean Lacroix next Thursday at 3 p.m. An extended version of today's interview
1: with Ed Decker can be found at bookwaves.com.
0: This year's Downtown Berkeley Music Fest, sponsored in part by KPFA, offers four eclectic, fun filled days of listening pleasure August 27th through 30th. A toe tapping square dance, some smoking jazz, or maybe reggae gets you going. This festival, with over 40 events, has it all, many free and family friendly. A few festival highlights include the dog style fusion of the David Grisman Quintet, blues from the Blue State Band, Maria Vellante's Songs of Argentine Passion, and the Ocaginal's Cajun Fun. This August 27th through 30th music festival is easily accessible by BART or AC Transit. You'll find detailed lineup and venue information at www.downtownberkeleymusicfest.org or call 510 548 7603. And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, KPFB in Berkeley.